Welcome to the Grant Writing and Funding Podcast, where it's all about, you guessed it, grant writing and funding made easy so you can increase capacity, grow funding, and advance your nonprofit or freelance mission. Now, let's hand it over to your host, grants expert and author Holly Rustic, so you can increase your funding and drive impact. Hello, hello, hello. It's Holly Rustic here with Grant Writing and Funding, and welcome to the Grant Writing and Funding Podcast. I'm so excited to have you here today. And I just want to give a shout out to Suzanne for Justice, who left a review on iTunes for the podcast, and she says, information on steroids with a five-star rating, and then says, there is so much to learn on this podcast. I appreciate the in-depth teachings. We appreciate you, Susan, for justice. Always wonderful to see what our listeners uh, love about our podcast show. And for you guys who are avid podcast listeners out there for the Grant Writing and Funding Podcast Show, please do leave a review on iTunes as we'll be sure to share it on the show. All right, so we have a great session for you today with Stu Manowith. And Stu Manowith is a thought leader in the nonprofit sector, and he is really focused on advocacy for certain types of software to increase your donor retention. So we're really gonna be talking about um, a lot of really cool things today, including how to leverage the data you already have and use it for donor retention, the impact of technology on nonprofit organizations and its future within the sector. And if you'll agree with me, we've seen a lot of that increase during the pandemic. And then how any nonprofit organization, big or small, can make a few small personalization changes to get people to give and keep giving. So this is definitely for you. You're going to walk away with some actual steps to take. So it's a really great. He's also going to touch on BlackBot, Salesforce, other types of data uh, management software as well, um, and go into stewardship building. Just a lot of great things, and he gives some wonderful tips. But who is Stu? Well, Stu is considered one of the top thought leaders in the nonprofit sector. He is also the director of thought leadership and advocacy for Omatic Software, a data integration software for nonprofits that allows them a complete view of their donors promoting data-driven decision-making. With over 30 years experience in the nonprofit sector, Stu has implemented data and integration solutions at hundreds of nonprofits across all subsectors and has been published by BlackBot and Salesforce, which is why we're going to kind of mention them. You guys are, are going to love this. You're going to have a lot to walk away with today. Um, so for all of the show notes, go to grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 213. Oh my goodness, yes, our 213th episode. Wow. (laughs) I also want to let you guys know, if you are signed up for our free Hub Haven, we have a bunch of updates all ready for April. So we have a lot of different curated resources that we've pulled out, um, some things to do with the new change in the done. So if you're on grants.gov, we're getting federal grants, and some great resources for you. Um, We've also updated our stress-free nook (laughs) in celebration of Uh, Jazz Appreciation Month and Poetry Month. So I actually put some of my favorite poets and poems in there, as well as a great playlist for you to jam out to with some beautiful jazz, all ladies, by the way, and while you're getting some work done. So if you're not a part of our Hub Haven yet, uh, please do uh, join us. You can just jump over to grantwritingandfunding.com and you can hit the Start Here button and find it. Um, We also have a ton of resources and downloadables for grant writers, freelance grant writers, and nonprofits that you can implement 
right away, and it's all free. So please do join us at grantwritingandfunding.com. All right, so let's get into our episode with Stu today, um, as you will enjoy this and find some great hacks so you can improve your technology and your donor retention. Hello, hello, hello. It's Holly Rustic here with the Grant Writing and Funding Podcast, and I'm here to help you grow capacity, increase income, and to advance mission. And on the show with me today, I have Mr. Stu Manowith, and he is the Director of Thought Leadership and Advocacy for Omatic um, Software. Omatic Software. Omatic Software. So that is O-M-A-T-I-C. And we're going to be definitely talking about your software, Stu, uh, later on in the show, but we're going to talk Great. a lot about data today and what your nonprofit should be tracking and why that's important. And I love this because a lot of people might think data, you mean like grant data stuff. And we say, well, maybe, but there's other data that your nonprofit can also track. So thank you um, so much for coming on the show today on the YouTube show and on the podcast. Um, so welcome. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. Awesome. And you are all the way in St. Louis. So uh, it's, it's night there. <laughs> It is night here. You can see out my window. It's night here. St. Louis, the heart of the Midwest. I grew up in Chicago, but I moved to St. Louis um, to go to college and I ended up just staying here. It's a little warmer than uh, Chicago. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've, I was. I spent the summer in Chicago. That was summer. But yeah, I've been here. <laughs> I'm originally from the Upper Peninsula, Michigan. So I know. Oh, OK. So, you know, you know, cold weather. Yep. Yes. Um, so yeah, so we were saying, if you guys are watching the YouTube show, you can see it's night there. He's not in, being investigated by the FBI. There's <laughs> 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 like this light on him. So, uh, but I love it. So thank you so much, Stu, for um, joining us on your evening time, as we're going to be talking about data today. And I just love, can we just talk about your title for a minute? Because we did not do Yeah, that. sure, of course. And I love it because it's the Director of Thought Leadership and Advocacy. And I'm like, wow, that sounds so interesting. So can you kind of talk about that a little bit? Uh, absolutely. And, and thank you for asking. So when I, I came to Omatic uh, six years ago, and I'll, I can talk a little bit about my, my career uh, over the last 30 years, but, um, and I was originally running our, the implementations team. And uh, so, it, um, so tra software training, um, set up, making sure that it runs effectively, et cetera. And about two and a half years ago, our CEO called me into his office. Uh, and it's funny because I live in St. Louis and our headquarters is in Charleston. So I, before the pandemic, I would go there about a week every month. But he said, I'm, you know, can you come and talk to me? He said, I really need you to be an advocate, to be our, to advocate for our, for the sector, to understand what the needs of our customers are. You have been in the nonprofit You've worked in the nonprofit sector all your career, which is true, and you speak the language and you've walked in their shoes. And so I would like you to take this role. We'd never had it before. Um, and he at, at, he called it director of advocacy because my job was to understand the needs of the nonprofit sector um, from a data quality and integration standpoint, because Omatic builds and uh, develops data quality and integration software and help us make our products better, make our services better, um, engage with our customers better by being their advocates. And I said, sign me up. I mean, I couldn't think of anything more exciting. But um, uh, so that was summer, fall of 2019. In the spring of 2020, um, a new VP of marketing joined Omatic. And she said, 
the not I don't want to say the catch word, but she said what you're really doing is thought leadership. You are absolutely advocating for the sector and for our customer base. But in doing that, you are you are you are being a thought leader. And so let's we really should change your title. So that's how I got the kind of mouthful title title director of thought leadership and advocacy. So my job is definitely advocating for the sector, understanding what their needs are, and also taking that information and building um, ebooks, uh, white papers, blogs, doing, doing, he said, Dan, our CEO said to me, we want you to do conference presentations. Well, joke, it was on me because by early 2020, we, no one was going to conferences anymore, except for virtually. But I, I do conference presentations. Um, one of the th and one of the things that I enjoy the most that I have so much fun with is that I write our case studies. Um, our, our customer, we call them customer stories, but they are basically our case studies. So um, when we talk to an organization and, and we, uh, after they have been using our products, we kind of backtrack and say, okay, what kind of pain did you have? What was happening? How did, how did our solutions help? And now what are you accomplishing? And so that is, a, I, I love that part of my job. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. Yeah. And it is, it's, you know, you're looking at coming up with solutions and, you know, really doing that, that is a lot of thought leadership, right? So that's yeah. really interesting. So thank you for breaking that down for me. Now I understand it so much better. I love it. I love, I love titles that aren't traditional, you know, it makes yeah. me, like, yeah. there's, there's gotta be a thought process that goes into developing a title. It's not just, ah, just call them project coordinator. <laughs> right? That's right. So, it's, so unusual. it's like there was some thought. So there's like this interesting story. I love it. Thank you. So as far as you said, you have over 30 years of experience in the nonprofit realm. So you haven't been doing data this whole time, have you? Or like well, I can't, you know, I I, I kind of have been. Um and I'll I'll uh, I'll just I'll give you just a um an abbreviated uh my my background in abbreviated but i i when i got out of school my very first job um was actually was at the repertory theater of st louis um i was producing producing children's theater which was a blast cool. back when i was in my 20s um and actually i did a lot of grant writing i learned um from our director of development she's um passed away unfortunately uh but she was a wonderful wonderful mentor to me and she helped me understand that if i wanted to um uh that the, the more money that we could earn through uh through funding, the, the better the shows that we produced would be for children's theater. So I learned, I, I really learned about government grants and about uh, private funding, et cetera, from her. But that, you know, that was, that was my first job. I was there for four and a half years. And then I went to work for uh, a small educational foundation with a very large membership. And, um, and I learned about it was there that I cut my teeth on the world of direct mail and direct marketing and segmentation and database marketing and using all that. And it was, this was an organization, it was an organization of maybe 50,000 members, uh, but based on, based on age and based on frequency of giving and based on uh, amount that they gave and based on how many gifts they gave, I learned from uh, the executive director, who again another mentor to me when I was young in my career, about how to use data to segment a file and how to use acquisition names and all all of that stuff. And using that, in, using that experience, I went on to um, I worked for uh, six years as director of annual giving at Barnes Jewish Hospital Foundation, which is a big medical center here in St. Louis, um, hospital fundraising 
and what we call the bottom of the pyramid, if you know what I mean. It was the, the uh, just to give you a, an example, the foundation raised about, it was about a $20 million organization. 20% of the money came from 80% of the donors. So, so not, and then 80% of the money came through major gifts and grant writing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, and that's okay. But those, I don't remember how many thousands of donors um, were the bottom of the pyramid, the people that gave 10 and 15 and $25 and that you needed to um, engage and retain and use, we, we use data to and to figure out how to segment the file, how to how to what messaging to send to people, and you know something, uh, Holly, that you and I talked about as we were preparing for this is um, we, for example, we would when you give to a hospital, you can pretty much choose what you want to give to, all the different body parts, heart, lung, liver, uh, brain, um, research, patient care. Um, uh, uh, poverty care, et cetera, nursing scholarships, medical education. And what we would do is we would take the take that information and say, last last time you gave, you gave to the Heart Research Fund. Um, so it just showed people that we paid attention to what they gave to. Right, right. Um, and we gave them an opportunity to to give to that again or to give to other things that were high priorities for us. And if they gave to one of our priorities, that was fine. If they gave where they wanted to give because they had a heart attack and um, they were, the heart research was really important to them, we welcomed it. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I love that looking at it, you know, very much where, what is the desire of the donor, right? And how- Absolutely. That and then offer that because a lot of people they don't remember what they gave to. Let's face it, like you know, especially if you're giving to ten dollars a month or something or this and that, you know, might give to public radio and to this other thing. You know what I mean? So it's nice to say, oh no, you gave to this and this is what you were passionate about. Well, and 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 so many fundraisers, me among them, we we really encourage and we really welcome unrestricted gifts, but. What I've learned over the course of the last, you know, many, many years is that you have to meet donors where they are. And if they don't want to give unrestricted, better to better to have them give and remain loyal because you're using their money the way they want you to use it. And they'll and and you continue to engage with them on their terms and they will are much more uh, likely to be retained by you and to build a relationship with you. And, you know, one, again, one of my, one of my jobs back at the hospital was um, to analyze the database and identify who was, um, uh, who was a prospect for a major gift based on their giving history. Someone who had given, I'm making it up, 25, 25, 50, 50, 100, 200, an obvious trajectory would would be passed over to a major gift officer, someone who gave um, $25 a year every year for 20 years Mm -hmm. would probably be passed off to a plan giving officer because there was a there was tremendous loyalty um, over the course of that uh, 20 year period. And there may be some some hidden wealth or some just unwealth that we didn't know about that would be uh, interesting to look into and establish that kind of relationship. I love that. And I love having the, the data allows yeah. you then to know what the strategic plan is then with that donor, right? And, and, and with right. The, that's a good fit as well for them. That's right. And and the data, the we, we can't um, under, 
undersell the importance of the data, all the different data. And we used it to really do what I would like to think is pretty sophisticated segmentation. For example, we had a big tribute program, people who gave in honor or in memory of people, um, in, in memory of people, if they, if they, you know, obviously if they passed away, even if they had a really good patient care experience at the hospital or in honor of people's recovery, or even in honor of people's birthdays, if the hospital was an important place for them, um, so you would, people would give to the hospital in honor of someone's birthday. And we leveraged that information and we would go back to those donors the second year and say, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but do you want to give in honor of so-and-so's birthday again? Or you made a gift in memory of this person a year ago. Is, would it be appropriate? Are you interested wording it much nicer than I'm doing it right now? <laughs> uh, um, well, uh, would you consider a gift in his or her memory at this, uh, you know, at the anniversary of the last time you made a gift? Um, and, you know, that, that's, that's, people don't think of doing that kind of sophisticated segmentation. You know, all of the recency, frequency amounts, segments too, but all of that data, what event they last went to, if they were a volunteer. Um, at the time, so I worked there from 1996 to 2003, so the internet was kind of just budding at mm -hmm. the time. And so now, of course, we have data that, that we capture that talk about which emails people have opened, which newsletters they subscribe to, what they're interested in. And all of that data is useful in understanding how to engage people and relate with people. Right. And I, I love that as far as like looking at that data. But I also know from a nonprofit stance, like point of view, a lot of times that's like, oh, wow, <laughs> it's a lot, right? So it's, it's, a lot. Like, it's a lot. How do I look at, how do I track that? How do I have the time? Maybe I'm new to sending out newsletters what should I be tracking, right? You've, I'm new to this. Um, what, so maybe we can start there as like, what if a nonprofit's kind of new to the landscape of sending out newsletters, maybe they haven't had an email list for that long and they're just kind of building it and learning how to do that and learning how to capture donate, donate buttons on their website, you know, like yep, yep. how can they benefit from data or is there a time and a place when they should start or can they start? Well, you know, it's interesting because this, this is the beginning of the year. People are just, people are in uh, the process of closing out 2021. You know, yeah. today's already the 11th of January. So by the end of this week, most people have closed their calendar year. This is a great time to kind of step back and look at your data, look at what you may be missing, look at what you need to clean up. But for someone who's who's new or who is um, looking at this for the first time or maybe new in a job or has a, kind of a blank slate, yeah. I would say capture every amount, every bit of information you can and just capture it and do it, do it systematically and and classify your data um, effectively think think it through think what information you want to capture and what's really interesting is that there is a school of thought especially um, when people are signing up for newsletters or opting in for email and even when they're making online donations is that you don't want to ask people for too much because you don't want them to abandon Yes. You don't want to make it onerous. You don't want them to abandon the search. So, or not the search. You don't want them to abandon the activity of making the gift, signing up for the email, signing up for the newsletter, etc. So there's a happy medium and it might take a little bit of testing and a little bit of experimenting to figure out really what the right amount of data to collect is, but collect as much as you can, especially 
what people's interests are. Right. Um, and these days, web um, donation pages, you, there are, um, you can ask survey questions with just a few drop downs. So it's not onerous. Again, you don't want to make it a chore for the donor or for the uh, signer upper, the subscriber, but capture as much data as you can and then use that strategically to build segments. So if um, your food banks are obviously they were very, very um, popular. <laughs> food, food banks were very hot during the worst of the pandemic because they, they were getting a lot of attention. They were getting, because people used them so much and they were getting uh, a lot of donations for the same, same reasons. <clears throat> a food bank, for someone who donates to a food bank, and I realize this is one, just one example, and we're not talking about arts and cultural or faith-based or animal rights or environmental, but, but just a, as an example, uh, a food bank could say, um, thank you, you know, you, name, email address, donation amount, payment information. What are you interested in? Um, volunteering, um, uh, donating food instead of just money, um, a, uh, a virtual food drive, um, uh, nutrition, nutrition education. I, I'm, again, I'm making it up right. on short notice, but like if you- Right. But it, but it, if you list those things and people can choose one, then you already have an engagement point with someone right. who has never been a donor before or maybe uh, uh, is a renewing donor. And you and that's how you start building a relationship. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I like that. I like that simple, like make it simple. And I know even uh, Brady, Brady Josephson from Next After Institute, and I know he was talking about, too, as far as signing up and I, some other people, too, that have been on the podcast have said, you know, keep it simple, like even if it's name and email address to yeah. pay and get them to pay. And then you can have your survey right after that, after the checkout. You, 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 you can, or, or, and this, you know, this is strategic and, uh, but, you know, think about it. Or when you send your thank you, you ah, can have a survey because for, for two things, three things, first of all, it's another touch point. Yep. Second of all, it's a thank you. Mm -hmm. So it's not asking for it's not asking for more money. And if you can, you can weave in maybe just a little stewardship information. Um, thank you for your gift of $25. We used it for this thing, or we used it the way you intended, even something, you know, very minor. Um, in order for us to use your funding um, even more effectively uh, the next time, please tell us some things that you're interested in. Right. I love that. I love that through with the thank you letter. And once again, having the thank yeah. you letter. Right? A lot of yeah. time and well, and you know what, here's something else too. Um, we, you know, we talk about donor retention. There's some research that um, has demonstrated that for new donors, it, this research was based on new donors. I think it probably is true about existing donors or lapsed donors as well. But for new donors, those who make a second gift within 90 days of their first gift are four times more likely to have, I'm sorry, have four times the lifetime value of, of donors who don't make a second gift within 90 days. So let me repeat that talk. I'm sure to clar clarify it. People Donors who make their second gift within 90 days have four times the lifetime value of those who don't. Um, but so the question is, okay, how do how do you get that second gift in 90 days? Well, yeah. you got to use your data. You got to you got to use data. You've got to you've got to um, you have to thank them for the gift. Make sure that you're using what is what what interested them in the first place in 
reflecting back to them in your thank you note. Mm -hmm. Some between day one and day 90, so day 45, 60, somewhere along the line, some type of stewardship piece that um, reflects back to them that their gift was used the way they intended and what it was used for. And then maybe somewhere between day 75 and 90, another solicitation once again, um, reflecting, thanking them for their first gift, reminding them how it was used and asking them for a second. And that, you know, I think that that's a formula for success versus day one, getting an email receipt, which isn't really a thank you. And then day 89, getting another solicitation with nothing happening in between. Yeah, no, and that's what I call it too. It's like, you know, if you're just asking, same thing with grants, like the only time you contact yeah. them is when you're asking for money. That's not a relationship. <laughs> you know no, I mean? no, it's not. It's, it's not. It's kind of like the prodigal, prodigal child out there. You know what I mean? Like, it's not a relationship. It's not coming back and saying, hey, um, I want to build this relationship with you. This is a partnership, you know, looking at it from a different lens than just these are, these are funders. They're oh, but, but, you know, what's interesting though, Holly, is it works up the, up the pyramid. Mm -hmm. So if you are, whether it is a individual who is on their wing to be on their way to being a major donor or a, um, uh, a corporation or a foundation or an agency from whom you're soliciting a grant, those, you do those same data based stewardship activities, but just at a, at a greater level, mm -hmm. at a, you know, because instead of having uh, 10,000 people at the bottom of the pyramid, you have just, if you're a major gift officer or a um, grants manager, you may have 50 or just 100 people in your portfolio, or people or organizations in your portfolio. And it's imperative that you let them know that their gift, that their grants or their gift was used the way they intended, what it was used for, and report back to them. And it, those same stewardship principles apply, and you have to keep meticulous records. Yes, yes. And I love that. So that's wonderful to say, you know, even if you haven't done this before, you can definitely start, you can start collecting any type and all type of data as far as even if you're getting um, donations, you know, through donate buttons on your website, start tracking that, or maybe if you're doing it offline, right? So it doesn't all have to be online data. It's data that, like you said, you were doing this in the bloom of you know, in the boom of the internet, but as far as like, even at fundraisers, like tracking how many people are attending and giving and what kind of that looks like once we get back to the um, in-person fundraising. <laughs> right. Well, and, 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 and direct mail is still direct mail. more, more people give by check than by then online and it's and and you know that that's flip-flopping it's changing but it hasn't changed yet direct mail is still up here and uh um and internet is still i, I don't have the statistics off the top of my head but i think that um, online giving is still only about 30 percent of wow. all payments that are made and still a lot of people give by check and what's interesting is that's another opportunity to collect data people's yeah. addresses are on their checks yeah. um who signed the check is it uh, i know this is traditional but is it the husband or the wife and whoever signed the check may be the decision make the charitable decision maker in that household mm -hmm. um so so all don't under um undermine not not undermine don't under think any of the data it's all it's all useful that's interesting that so much is done through check. Would you happen to say that major gifts are even a high, higher percentage of giving by check? 
because of the yeah, um, I, I, yes, I would. People, people mm-hmm. so I, I do think that people generally don't make five or six figure gifts mm-hmm. um, online. Yeah. Um, or, you know, often they're they are um, handled by financial by their financial professional, and they uh, are going to. Um, wire money from a brokerage account. It might not be stock, but it might be wiring money from a brokerage account to the uh, agency or to the nonprofit that's being the recipient. So it's um, it's not donate now for major gifts. Yeah, I and I like that. Even and the not, one of the nonprofits I'm on the board of and even our, because we're a membership, right? 501c6. Um, and it was like mm-hmm. looking yep. at to say, even our bigger, larger members, our corporate members, et cetera, we want to get a check. And that's like, you know, just getting into like the upper hundreds, because if they give online, we're losing so much in transaction fees. But if they give a check, we're not losing those. You're not losing anything. Right. Yeah. And and I think, I think everybody's noticed. Yeah. Um, Everybody these days has a checkbox that says, do you want to cover the fee? Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, uh, the 3% or the 2.75%. Um, and, you know, I think most people, I don't, I've not seen any research on this. I'm sure there is some, but I would say most people are inclined to cover it. What, you know, what's another $3 or what's another 3%? It's, you know, it's a, a cup of coffee. Right. But when you get in those higher numbers, it can add up. It can add up. Yes, I know. Add up. And a lot of the organizations feel like they don't want to charge their members for those transaction fees. So yeah. there's kind of that. Yeah, there is definitely like, do we eat it or do we have them eat it, even though they're giving? So it's kind of this interesting dialogue among board of directors when they're looking at those kind of decisions, right? Or finance committees um, to look at that. But I know we're kind of going in the weeds on that, but I think it's really interesting to that you know noted, still a lot is giving through check and still a lot is, um, you know, you're getting through direct mail and you didn't say direct email. You said direct mail. That means direct mail, meaning paper envelopes that people open up Mm -hmm. um, or, you know, they get sent to a bank lockbox and then the bank does a lot of the processing. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, um, one of the things that we do at Automatic is we take those lockbox, those bank um, files, data files, and we will import them into your database for you. Um, so that you don't have to key them in, um, or type into a, type into your own spreadsheet, uh, and then import them. So that that kind of brings me to my next question, because I do have a lot of people that say, okay, now that we're, maybe they're a little bit more seasoned now in tracking data, or they might be new still, and they're thinking, oh my gosh, I need a CRM. I need some kind of like customer relationship management software, or what do I use because all of this tracking, how do I get keep even track of all this data, right? So, and I know that the company you work with does a lot of this. So can you kind of talk about like what they do and then what you would yeah. recommend to people starting out, you know, can they use a simple Excel sheet in the beginning? When do they actually should think, be really seriously thinking about moving up to something more sophisticated? So, so it's that's a it's a really really good question, and when I say a good question, I I, I mean that in it's probably something that's on the minds of a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So, so Omatic Omatic software, which is where I work now, is data quality and integration. We are not a CRM. We yeah. we work to move to help organizations um, move data between their main CRM and whatever satellite systems they use for online giving, peer-to-peer fundraising, email marketing. Like I said, we want to be able to capture in our database all of those click-throughs and all of those um, uh, um, uh, opens. And when people don't open, we want to know so we don't bother sending them 
email again. Obviously, the opt-ins, the out-ops, the subscribes and unsubscribes, all that, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so online giving, peer-to-peer -peer fundraising, event management, um, volunteer management, uh, email marketing, all the different things that you do to engage with donors or prospects or uh, supporters that we use these uh, sophisticated online platforms for. And then um, we bring, we help organizations bring that data back into their main system, along with where most of the giving and biographical and um, interest information is, et cetera. So they can have that holistic picture and they can use that data strategically. Um, so, you know, we didn't, we, so I told you that I worked at, Bar I worked at Barnes Jewish Hospital Foundation in St. Louis for about six and a half years. And then I went to work for a company called Blackbaud. Blackbaud is the company that is the um, developer of Razor's Edge, which is probably many of the people listening to this podcast are familiar with. It's a, it's the, the, the mainstay, um, uh, fundraising CRM that Blackboard developed about 30 years ago, and it, it's 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 not for everybody. I, I listen. I I loved working there. I had a great career. I learned a lot. Um, but it's for medium and large organizations, small organizations. It's probably too much for them. Um, and so I was there for 13 years, and then six years ago I went to work for Omatic. Um, Razor's Edge is probably not what you're going to start with. Right. Uh, to, but don't use an Excel spreadsheet. Okay. Use, there are many systems um, that you can find through a quick uh, web search mm -hmm. that are affordable, uh, under $100 a month, some, some less than that, mm -hmm. um, that have plenty of capacity for collecting the data that, that, that we need. And it's and and so so space for it, the right places for the data and ways to easily analyze it and extract it so that it can be useful to you um, and so that you can build um, you can use data to build segments to personalize communications to people, whether it's email communication or whether it's uh, um, written correspondence, etc. So there are plenty there are plenty of small um, uh, reasonably priced affordable systems that that people can look into and then then the question is okay well then when how do i know that i've outgrown it and you'll know you'll just know because um it won't it won't because as your organization grows and as you get more sophisticated it the system won't do what you need right um we we excuse me we work primarily with um blackboard and salesforce systems mm -hmm. as main systems of record um any e and even salesforce is so accessible these days yes um i would say most people who are listening know that uh, you can get free licenses from salesforce and it, it again we have a great relationship with salesforce but free licenses from salesforce is like getting a free barbie doll in as much as there's a lot of accoutrements that you still need to buy but it is um but Salesforce is certainly a very, uh, people should look at it because it's, it's, it's a strong system and it can grow with you uh, along the way. Um, you know, once you get past, once, once you outgrow the free licenses. 
Right, right. And yeah, I think Salesforce, and they've been around for a long time as well. I know um, when I first started back in grant writing, and we are a grant writing company, worked with multiple uh, nonprofits around the world, and Salesforce was the first thing we utilized as well. So I think, you know, there's a lot to say about these different um, BlackBot and Salesforce, like you're bringing up. So really looking at the capacity of what your organization has, right, what you want to invest in it, and keeping and building it like anything, like don't want to be spending yeah, thousands yeah. of dollars a month in the very beginning. You got to look at your budget as well and figure out what works, but to move forward, right? And, and to realize it's important. These there's a there's a there's a small nonprofit um, theater company in rural Missouri that uses Salesforce mm-hmm. and that uses a different. Um, uses Salesforce for fundraising and uses a different system for their ticketing. They, and they only perform during the summer. Um, and, and so this is the time of year that they're figuring out from an operational standpoint, how to, you know, get a little leverage. And one of the women on the board asked me on their board asked me, she said, should, you know, I'm, I'm wondering, should we, should we, um, is it important to have our ticket, our ticket, uh, data in to Salesforce. And I said, if you can do it, absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely have it. Because when you go and look at who's come to your shows last summer, whether they came to all three or whether they came to two or to one, and you kind of marry that up against, did they donate or not, or where they live, all of that can be used to build a story that will have a unique um, message to that person. Yeah. If they if they came to all three shows, um, but didn't donate, then you can say, and I'm making it up. Um, thank you for being a subscriber. 50% only, only 50% only, your ticket purchases only cover 50% of our, of our costs to run the season. And won't you donate if they made a gift, um, but only came to two shows or one show, um, you could say, um, thank you for giving and being a ticket buyer again I, i'd be if i were doing this i'd be much more eloquent right, than, right, right. <laughs> um uh but um your money can go further to buy a subscription and you'll enjoy theater more and by the way would you like to make a contribution so there's marrying that data is w- yeah. will be so important to them they'll have so much more it'll it'll be um uh, the synergy of that data will will more than make up for the effort to get it consolidated Right, right. And I think that's great. So once once people have, say, they, they get a CRM system or maybe they have one now and they're utilizing it, then when would they look at using Omatic and saying, this makes sense to us now? You know what I mean? Sure. Th- and thank you for asking that. Um, and I, I love talking about what Omatic does. So Omatic started as a... Um, a, a sophisticated data import tool for people that were using Blackboard systems uh, and needed something more that could do more than the out of the box importing. And what we've, uh, we started in 2002. So this is actually our 20th anniversary year. Um, uh, and, and what we have evolved into over those years is a data integration uh, platform uh, by which people can use Omatic to bring any data that they use, any data that they have from what I call satellite systems, external data into their main database. And some of our um, integrations will send data back the other way so that those systems are also up to date and clean. Uh, but what, what I would say what many people started using Omatic for just initially 
is that gift entry that you get a spreadsheet, you get a file of gifts from a bank, or you um, key into a spreadsheet a bunch of new donors along with their gifts. And it's much easier to get those into the database using Omatic than it would be hand keying them or using some of the native import uh, functionality. Okay, okay. And as you start using an email marketing tool or a separate system for online donations, um, because realize even the most sophisticated databases um, don't have an, they're, they're not, they're back office systems. They're not, they don't have online, native online right. tools. Right. Um, so you're, you're, you're generally going to use some third party uh, uh, website for online giving for event registrations, and it might be it might be two different ones for email marketing, for um, volunteer management. We did a survey um, in, uh, end of last year, November of last year, and the outcome was that that our on average our clients use four different data repository systems in addition to whatever their main database is, and well, and of course, okay, so that's why they're our customers because they need the they need the um, technology that we provide to move data from those external systems into the main database. But uh, my guess is they're not alone. Most organizations are using something separate for online giving, separate for event management, event registrations, peer-to-peer -peer, peer fundraising if they do runs and walks and rides, um, email marketing. Uh, uh, if, if you are a theater, you're going to have a separate system likely for tickets. Right. Or if you are a... Um, if you are a museum uh, membership, you have a, you may have a separate system, or a zoo, you may have a separate system for memberships, mm -hmm. or you know, adopt an animal. So all of that. So what we do is we consolidate all of that data, and we make sure that um, we prevent duplicates. Because what's the worst thing that can happen is get you get two emails or two direct mail pieces, right. um, because um, I. My wife um, entered us as Stuart and Sylvia Manowith, and I, a different time, made a donation to Stu Manowith, and nobody realized that we're the same people, right. and so we get duplicates. And that, can, you know, that can denigrate your relationship with somebody when, um, uh, when that happens. Or, God bless my dad, um, who is in his 80s, and he will type, he'll enter in all caps. Right. Um, when he makes a when he makes a, a contribution or even or or um, uh, signs up for something and then he get and then he gets a letter in all caps and that looks bad and he doesn't realize that he was the culprit. Yeah. Um, so so we we clean that up. We prevent duplicates. We um, we do what we call proper casing, which means that if somebody enters there in all caps or if they if their name is O'Donnell and they just entered an all lowercase, we fix that. Um, if somebody enters their city as NYC, we will change it to New York so that your coding structure doesn't get messed up. Right, right. Yeah, there are so many details. And that's so many details. Right. right. Because you never want to send you never want to send somebody uh, uh, an email or a um, or a or a solicitation that has their name misspelled. Right. Or, or that or um, the wrong gender, and we one, we've got a um, one of our engineers tells the story that there was an organization that he was very involved with. His name is Pat, and they he entered something, and they sent his uh, thank you note to Ms. Pat, um, 
And you know, it, it's Saturday night the, live. <laughs> Do you yeah, I know. No, but but you know what? It 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 ticked him off because he said, "I've been volunteering with you for years. You should know me." Yeah, yeah. No, I could definitely, I could definitely see that. So, so many advantages to looking at this. So, while you guys are out there building up your data and really looking at it, to these are great takeaways. I mean, even if you're not ready for CRM yet, or you're just starting into it or you're seasoned and you're well into it, these are all different tips as far as, you know, sending out your thank you letter and collecting your survey and having another um, nurturing touch, 45 days. Absolutely. Don't wait for day 89, like, <laughs> right, right. there's a lot of people, right? So, or a year out when you're doing your annual fundraiser, like, no, you need to develop the relationship so thank you so much, Stu, for coming on today and sharing these very important points and also talking more about um, Omatic because um, it's been really interesting to hear about different software systems. And a lot of people ask me about different ways to utilize um, data and what should they use. And so this is great to show another um, potential you know, tool that nonprofits could use. So we'll definitely have all of the links in the show notes and the YouTube notes as well to um, for people to find out more about these different things that we've discussed today. Day. But before we close out today, is there anything else you'd like to add? And where can people contact you? Um, thank you. No, I, I, this has been wonderful. Um, I, I love being able to uh, talk about the things that I've experienced, if they can help other uh, nonprofits, especially. I'm, I'm just, as you can tell, I'm, I'm dedicated to to service to the nonprofit sector. Yeah. So, um, so I'm happy to help. I would encourage anyone um, listening or watching to reach out to me. Uh, will, is my will my email address be in the um, show notes? Oh, yeah, show notes. Yep, we can definitely. Okay. So, but mm-hmm. but it's 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 stu s t u dot manawith m a n e w i t at omaticsoftware.com or you can reach out to omatic at info at omaticsoftware.com or just uh, key in omaticsoftware.com. Uh, we, I guess the takeaway is think of your data as an asset. It's no different of an asset than any other asset you have than your bank account or your desk or your computer or um, the, uh, the, 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 or your refrigerator or anything else that you get value from, you get so much value from your data. So treat it like an asset, take care of it, nurture it, make sure that it's healthy, make sure that it's of high quality, take it to the data doctor when, if it gets the flu, you know, just, just take, take care of your data. And and we, and we at Omatic can help you do that. I love that. I love that so much because what have we seen time after time, especially is that it takes less energy and less um, finances, right? Fewer finances to actually get a recurring donation than a new one. So when you really take care of that data and treat yeah. it as an asset, like it is. A- absolutely. And, and can I just can I just add one more comment? Yes, because you, 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 you made me think of something that, that I think is real important. If, if your data is of high quality, if you trust it, if it's good, then the processes that use it, that leverage it are going to be more effective, which means your the communications and your interactions and your engagement with your donors are going to be just better, which means more that you'll raise more money, which means that you will be able to do your mission better. Um, and so the, the, just never, ever, ever underestimate the importance of quality data because it can it can just take you so far. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Stu, for coming on the Grant Writing and Funding Podcast. We look forward to have you on again in the future. And um, yes, uh, great work that you're doing in the nonprofit world. Thank you for your uh, 30 plus years of dedication towards it and many, many more to come. 
<laughs> Thanks so much, Holly. I would, I'd love to come back given the opportunity. This, this has been great. Absolutely. All right. Take okay. care. Okay. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode today. Please do visit us at grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 213 for all of today's show notes. And if you love this podcast, please do leave us a review on iTunes as that helps other people find the podcast. And we love to hear what you love about the show so we can deliver more and more of those things. All right, go ahead and visit us at grantwritingandfunding.com as well to join our free hub haven. All right, guys, I'll see you next week when I have uh, Miss Christina Edwards on the show. And she's going to be talking about marketing.